friends, I'm Stacy and I'm Melissa. And we are teaming up each month to chat about books. What makes our podcast a little different is that we want to encourage your curiosity beyond the book. So how will we do that? In addition to discussing the themes, characters, and a review of the book, we will also discuss what the book taught us and how it inspired our curiosity well after the story finished. Now, let's get on with our episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Curious Reader Podcast. I want to start by saying that if you like this podcast, please review us on Podbean or in your favorite podcasting app. Your likes and reviews help us greatly and help others find our program. We really enjoy doing it and want to keep it going. So if you enjoy what you have to say, please let us know and tell your friends. You can reach us on Twitter at the Curious Reader GPL. And the GPL stands for Gosstown Public Library. So before we swoon over our book, Melissa, I wanted to share that today is a cause for celebration. Instead of just telling our listeners what is so special about today, I'm going to break out in song. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, the Curious Reader Podcast. Happy birthday to us. Notice I didn't join in because nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they didn't want to hear me singing either, but I went for it. (laughs) That's right, everyone. It was just one year ago that the Curious Reader podcast was born when one public library teen service assistant joined forces with the local high school certified library media specialist. Woo, that's a mouthful. (laughs) And we wanted to collaborate on a love of reading teen fiction and going beyond the book to discover even more. So if you've been a loyal listener from the beginning, thank you. Continue to listen and share, share, share this podcast with everyone you know. And if you're new to our podcast, welcome. And we want you to share, share, share as well, too. I love these collaborative (laughs) projects between the public library and the school. (laughs) I do as well. So now to our book this week. Oh, listeners, it's a good one. I say that all the time. I know. Sorry. But it is still, it really is a good one. I don't think you did. Was it last time you didn't? Or two times ago? Two times ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this one is a good one. <laughs> Today, Melissa and I are discussing Sarah Kuhn's From Little Tokyo with Love. And there truly is so much to love about this book. It's a contemporary romance, coming of age story with a great dosing of humor folded in. So, Let's start with uh, talking a little bit about the background of this, of this book and what's going on. It's a little synopsis. So Rika Rakayuma lives in Little Tokyo, an area in downtown LA that is steeped in tradition, history, and Japanese culture. She lives with her aunties and her cousins, which she refers to as sisters because she's been with them since the beginning. Rika's mother, just a teenager at the time, died during childbirth, and Rika's father, who is white, really has not been in the picture at all. Her aunt Susie, along with Susie's wife, Auntie Och, I think, Mm. took Rika in to care for her. The aunties run a restaurant in Little Tokyo called Katsu That. And Rika, along with her cousins, work at the restaurant. The Little Tokyo community, along with uh, celebrating Japanese heritage and culture, is a huge part of their life and a huge part of this story. 
And while Rika passionately loves her neighborhood, she can't help but feel like she hasn't really um, completely belonged. She's not fully, uh, I don't know, wholly accepted. Maybe that's it. The community she lives in often reminds her that she looks different, um, not completely Japanese. Her hair is a bit lighter, often with streaks of red when the sun hits it just right. Whispers of her being a mistake permeate the local talk, and she always seems to be doing something that she feels adds further shame to her family. Uh, like the time that she bit uh, Craig Shimizu in judo class when she was eight. Craig's family has a lot of power in the community, and Craig's father also heads up the Nikkei Week Festival Board. The Nikkei Week is a long festival that celebrates all things Japanese and Japanese-American. And the beginnings of this festival is where our story opens. So, if you listened to our last podcast, when I introduced the book at the um, end of that, I mentioned it was a modern-day fairy tale, a little riff on Cinderella. And I'm sure you're now going there, hmm, what was she talking about? But it is in there. There's um, a character who kind of acts as the uh, fairy godmother, so to speak. And, and then, of course, you know, we do have orphaned um, Rika, who's living uh, with two you know, not ugly stepsisters, though, actually wonderful cousins. So there's, you know, a little riff on that there. And, and they're and they're named after they, Carrie Bell and... And so Aurora, which is uh, in short, they call her Rory. Um, so they are named after Disney princesses, which yeah. is kind of funny. Yes. And then there's a whole princess theme within there. And there was one part in the story, too, where... Um, as, you, as I tell you more, you'll find out about this adventure that Rika goes on. And so she gets this clue, and so she has to meet um, at this zoo by a certain time. And all of a sudden, everything goes crazy inside the restaurant, and she's you know asked to work a little bit longer. And she's like, "Well, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna make it there on time." And that all of a sudden brought up a Cinderella theme to me, right? Like not being able to go to the ball, or like, or even not being able to get back before you turn into pumpkin. So there were these like little. I love discussing these things because I didn't even pick up on that. That's oh. one of the most fun parts about discussing a book, isn't it? Seeing what other people think about. Exactly. It. You're like, oh, I didn't even see that. Right, I didn't right. even oh think of that. So so it's in there. It's smattered in there um so we're gonna go on now we're gonna start talking about princesses and fairy tales and happy endings and celebrities and the biceps of hank chen uh more judo anger and the nureona and did rika's mother really die in childbirth these are some things we're going to be possibly discussing so i mentioned the nikkei week festival as part of this festival a young uh, Japanese-American from the community is made queen, and she has a court of princesses. They are premiered in the parade, and they do other things throughout the week. And actually, um, at, if we discuss a little bit about the, um, this festival that really does happen, there's other things that they do within the community, and you earn scholarships and uh, things like that. So, like I said, they are premiered in the um, parade, and as the week closes, there's a large gala. Well, Rika's cousins, Belle, one of them, is the seer's queen, and then her cousin Rory is the court um, in the court of princesses. Uh, Rika's not in there, though. She's not exactly team princess. She prefers team judo, uh, which she is superb at. The whole princess thing and happy endings is just, she's just not into it. Plus, she doesn't need to feel the stink eye from some in the community that believes she's not Japanese enough to be a princess because of her mixed heritage. 
So the Grand Marshal of the parade is Grace Kimura. She's a highly loved Asian American rom-com queen uh, who always gets her happy ending. The aunties, Belle and Roy, love watching Grace's movies. So here they are, parade's going. Rika is driving, Queen Belle and Princess Rory. And up ahead, Grace Kimura is leading the parade in her car. So they're all waving to the crowd, and, and Belle decides to liven it up a little bit, because Rory actually says, you know, this is pretty boring, you know, we only get to see one part of the parade, and, um, hmm. So Belle says, hey, I'm going to get Grace's attention. She begins by enticing the crowd to call out Grace's name, and one thing leads to another. Grace turns, she smiles at everyone, she smiles at Belle, she smiles at Rory, she makes eye contact with Rika. And all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Grace flees the car, barrels through the crowd, plows into Rika, and then goes into hiding. And Rika thinks, Grace may just be my birthmark. What? <laughs> huh? Where did this come from? Mind blown. So Rika is on a quest to find out exactly what happened and if Grace is her mom. And she's not in it alone. Her cousins offered to help her. But her greatest ally is Hank Chen, a Filipino-Chinese actor who just happens to have a part in Grace's current rom-com movie. Oh, and also, he just recently met Rika when she accused him of trying to steal Auntie Ocha's Mustang. Rika and Henry, that's Hank's real name, are off on a quest all over L.A. in search for her mom. And we're introduced to wonderful food, special landmarks, interesting people that speak words of wisdom into Rika about opening your heart to hope and believing that you deserve a happy ending in whatever shape and form that is to you. I loved how the author immersed the reader in Little Tokyo. I honestly wanted to board a plane and go visit while I was reading. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever read a book that um, gave such breathable life into a setting that I actually longed to visit it. And that's how I felt while I was reading this book. And let me just round out a quick thought about our main character and the hunky Henry. While the book is mainly about Rika's growth and understanding and finding, sharing, and accepting one's full identity, the same can be said for Henry. You know, he needed Rika as much as she needed him, which made their partnership that much sweeter throughout the story um, and as they were on their escapades and trying to figure out where Grace was hiding. Um, I loved how the book explored that not feeling wholly seen and accepted was not just unique to Rika. She soon learned that many around her also did not feel that they fit or belonged at one time or another, and they were willing to share their insecurities with her. So in our remaining time, I think that we're going to be exploring this a little bit more. Yeah, indeed we are. I, too, love this book. I'm not usually a rom-com reader, but there was something about this book that yeah. gripped me. And even the love story um, was, was sweet. Um, the book explored emotions in a deep way, but it still managed to be lighthearted. I thought it was really, really well done. Um, there were some corny parts for me, like the part where you mentioned where Grace ran into the crowd and all of a sudden Rika thought she was her mother. Yeah. I was like, ah, I know, I guess but, we had to get the storyline in there somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so you know. There were some things that just kind of like out of the blue, um, but the depth of characters and the setting really outshined, outshined any doubts I had. Um, and I really did enjoy this. Um, and I, sometimes when I read a book, I think if I had a choice, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have read that in the first place, mm. you know, if I, but this one, I, I, 
would. This one I like so much. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad I read that. Yeah. So, I don't lead, read a lot of rom-com either. So, um, but it was just enough touch, but there, like I said, the setting blew me away. And I think that that was a character all on its own. And so that really, really drew me. And I was like, oh, and just, uh, yeah, the culture to everything. I think that's uh, when an author shines, when the author can make the setting a character. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, so I did consider lots of topics for today. Um, these included Orphans, Nikkei Week, um, Little Tokyo, Judo, Food, Vocabulary. There was lots of Japanese vocabulary in here, which was interesting. My daughter studies Japanese, so that really... <laughs> piqued my interest. Um, Jap- the Japanese American National Museum, which I would like to go visit. Uh, different things about different kinds of ethnicity mm-hmm. and, and what it means to be a person who's Filipino and Chinese and all those um, different backgrounds mixed yep. together. Fairy tales, of course, anger, what it means being a good Japanese yes. daughter, the idea of shame, teenage pregnancy, secrets and hope, but as always, I needed to settle on just three themes, and I hope you'll enjoy the ones that I picked for today. So topic one, of course, is the sense of place, the idea of Little Tokyo. Yes. So I wanted to research Little Tokyo a little on my own and learn more about it. I've always been intrigued by the idea of sense of place as an archivist. This is something we really try to capture when we make community hmm. collections. So a place has a certain feeling that helps build your experiences and heighten your sense of identity. This story has a strong sense of place. And Rika talks a lot about the idea of home. The mm-hmm. word home comes up both comes over and over, um, both in terms of the physical space and a comfortable place in her heart that gives her a sense of belonging. And we'll talk more about that emotional sense of home a little later. To Rika, her aunt's restaurant, the abandoned zoo, a special tree that she calls the Onryo tree, and her dojo are all places that give her a sense of identity. So for us in Goffstown, our sense of place might relate to the Ankanunik Mountains yeah. or the Rail Trail or Apotheca, any place that reminds you of home and gives you a strong sense of connection to your town gives you that sense yeah. of place. Yes. So Rika is from a very special place, as we said. The city of Los Angeles has a distinct identity, and Rika talks about this a lot with Henry, contrasting the differences between her sense of place and his. She's a West Coast girl, and he's an East Coast guy. They are distinct in terms of their space, their people, how their people act, their activities, their foods, and even their sunsets. There's this nice scene where they're looking at the sunset. Yes. Yeah. The history of Little Tokyo itself within Los Angeles goes back to 1885 when the first restaurant in the area was opened by a Japanese businessman. Today, there are only three what they call Japan towns in the U.S. and all are on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Japanese people began immigrating to the United States to take the place of Chinese laborers after the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. The Chinese Exclusion Act intended to keep unskilled laborers out of the country and was in fact born of deep prejudices. Within a few decades, emigration from Japan, like that from China, was also slowed by the United States. Um, through what they call a gentleman's agreement with Japan, the U.S. limited immigration, asking that Japan agree to only provide passports to students, business people, and spouses of Japanese already in the U.S. With this agreement, many spouses came overseas to join their husbands, and thus the community in Los Angeles grew. Mm. So they were really trying to, you know, just like back then, um, we still have immigration issues today. Yep. So these have been deep part of our history. In 1906, many Japanese moved from San Francisco 
after the city's earthquake, and that furthered the growth of the community. So the community really developed in Little Japan and flourished with new civic and business associations started by the Japanese American people as they were settling. There were also what they called Kenjin Kai, which are mutual aid societies to support the members of the community in times of need, mm. um, just like churches filled this need for many people, okay. um, especially on the East Coast when hmm. we think of that. Uh, then in 1942, the Japanese Americans were forcibly removed to American concentration camps after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It was 120,000 people in all who were relocated and Japantown was emptied. And then when the war was over, only one third of these residents returned in 1945 after, um, and many others moved to other parts of L.A. Huh. Then finally, in the 70s and 80s, the area was revitalized as more Japanese um, from overseas began doing business in the United States. And I remember this very vividly in Boston. They were buying up different properties um, in the 80s and early 90s. Um, Nisei Week, which the book calls Nikkei Week, was born in 1934 when members of the Downtown American Citizens League began to fear that the next generation of Japanese Americans would lose touch with their culture. So when immigrants settle in a country, they very often get concerned that they're going to um, totally meld in. And it's not a bad thing to meld, but you do want to hang on to your culture because it gives you your own sense of identity. Yeah. So in order to protect that, they created this festival that they talk about in the book. The book's sense of place is enhanced by a focus on this festival, and Rika and all her relatives are taking part in it. And that was, well, you know, I, I could really, in the book, um, the author did a wonderful, wonderful job of um, bringing that culture through. And I, as I was reading it, was definitely thinking, I wouldn't want somebody to to lose this. This was so rich and wonderful that I would want that culture to be maintained. Um, so I, again, I think that that's just down to great writing. Um, and, you know, we can't forget a small character that is a huge part of Little Tokyo, uh, Mr. Sherman, the ancient cat who is known as the feline mayor of Little Tokyo. He's often seen hanging out in the doorway of a little boutique uh, that belongs to his caretaker. So it, Mr. Sherman is mentioned in this book. And so I had to search out this cat that the author talked about. And um, I found that in March of 2020, Mr. Sherman celebrated his 23rd um cat birthday. Uh, and it actually in 2016, Mr. Sherman was catnapped right in front of the store. And two weeks, two weeks later, he uh, reappeared. And some say with um, the woman that they think catnapped him, just kind of brought him back, let him down and went on business. But um, so I said in the opening that this book was uh, of a romance and it is, but not just a love between people or learning to love oneself. But I see the book as one big love letter to a community in a place that is truly cherished. I love how you found out about Mr. Sherman in the note at the end. Yes. So very often students will skip those notes or introductions and you get some of the richest things like a cat. You do. And talked about in those you parts. can go look uh, Mr. Sherman up there. There are pictures out there. And, um, and Mr. Sherman, uh, you know, I don't know to 2020. I couldn't find anything after that. So I, I am. Um, oh. And I do know that Mr. Sherman um, it takes a lot of medication. I mean, 23 years old has some. But oh, it was so cool to like, oh, my gosh, Mr. Sherman. I wonder how he got his name. I don't know. Mr. Sherman. Hmm. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> 
So topic two is ghosts and monsters, which is one of my favorite topics when we're talking about Asian cultures. I read a lot of Amy Tan's writings, um, lots of Chinese Mm. books, and that they really go deeply into this topic. So I was excited to read about it from a Japanese perspective. So Japanese monsters are called yokai, and they are interwoven in the culture and play a big role in this book. Feeling like she doesn't belong, Rika leans on Nurana, which is a type of yokai, to help her. Nurana is a yokai spirit, or spirit is another way to think of a yokai, Mm. with the head of a woman and the body of a snake. Rika talks of defeating all enemies in this form, and it is on the t-shirt that she wears constantly. She loves it. The t-shirt turns up over and over again in the book as a symbol of Rika, her home, her feelings, her sense of self-worth. Rika talks also of keiju, which are amphibian monsters like Godzilla that protect her. The book also mentions onryo, which are Japanese ghosts. The Japanese legend related to these ghosts is that the soul stays behind to seek revenge Mm -hmm. once the body dies. Rika tries to bury her feelings of needing revenge, but these myths live strongly within her and she feels that they help make her strong. So on page 95, it states... So many Onryo, the ghosts in the stories, were women. So many of them were truly wronged in life, and so many ended the story by getting the vengeance they sought. Their long, tangled waves of hair reminded me of the branches of the big canopy tree, flowing and curving in all directions, wild and unrestrained. From then on, I referred to that tree as the Onryo tree. So that's the end quote. Um, Remember, earlier I mentioned that one places one of the places that burns strongly in her heart is the onryo tree i think yes. I, re- I mentioned yep. that um so it, it, i i feel an attachment to trees and just picturing those branches weaving like like kind of like medusa's hair mm. you know that's um was very strong with me just as an aside i want to point out how much i love that rika is wrapped up in the story she reads <laughs> i think we are as librarians yes. for sure so her personality is heavily influenced by books and they help give her strength the onryo women are wrapped in rika's story of hurt power and self toward the end of the book her aunt Suze talks about the strength of her and her sister how she stood up to her domineering father and protected her sister it re- all relates back to the power of onryo yes. women's power In an article from the Japan Times that I found, because of course I have to find articles on this, (laughs) the article states, quote, while Japan is often considered a secular society, it's worth learning how there are still many people who seriously indulge in the act of cursing others, Hmm. end quote. The article talks about tie-cutting shrines, where individuals leave messages on plaques to wish harm on others. (laughs) superstitious curses where people believe they can come and haunt others are a strong part of the culture. The stories of supernatural being all uh, of supernatural beings all tie into Asian cultures and specifically in Japan, it ties into the ancient religion of Shintoism. Shintoism is a multi-theistic religion with belief in the supernatural and kami powers. And I think that Rika actually, Rika actually talks about kami a few times. Um, these are the shrines that are set up to honor these supernatural beings that are interested in what ha- what's happening with humanity. Yeah. They're kind of uh, watching over them, but part of them at the same time. Hmm. Kind of like the, the Greek and Roman gods, I guess, okay. um, interfered with, with human happenings. So... 
Rika discusses how the Nerona protected her and her home and began wondering why, and I began wondering why my monsters make her feel at home. Um, and these are her words, not mine. Right. The monsters make her feel at home, 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 kept coming up over and over. Late in the book, she states, quote, there's a sense of calm at my center. After screaming all my feelings out on a roller coaster, like the door to my heart is just sitting there now open and the Nerona don't seem to mind at all. So her heart is her home, and she and the powers that protect her eventually let Henry in. Oh, I know. They were so cute. <laughs> I love them. So, monsters. I love them. <laughs> and uh, if you see the cover of this book, uh, the t-shirt that she's wearing um, is, is right on the cover. Uh, and so you can see that... Um, that monster right on there on the on her t-shirt and actually uh she's not the only one who loves the t-shirt uh her cousin rory and uh also loves it as well so there's some and at the end doesn't overlap. she hand it she does who it? she says wears it even better so i don't know yeah yep. it's interesting i wonder if there's going to be a part two to this i I'm, don't know okay. there might be and we need to talk about covers at some point because the covers just keep getting better and better on these books they do we um and i think a lot of the books that we have um done in this podcast have uh, just phenomenal covers um just beautiful ones so um you know it says don't don't you know don't judge a book by its cover but the covers are getting even better and better and better that you can't help but want to pick up a book so That's I have perfect. a new book display, right? When you walk through the library and there's this one cover of the skeletal, I don't know, I wish I remembered the title of it, but the face just grabs you. And I, mm. as I'm putting it out, I'm like, I want to read this, but I put it out just because of the cover. <laughs> and then the next day, a girl picked it up and said, I want to take this out because of the cover. Look so at that. Makes See? a difference. That does. So. All right. Theme three, we're going to talk about dealing with emotions um, because em emotion, that's another thing I loved about this book. It seems so real because here we're talking about teenagers mm -hmm. um, who are learning about themselves and have all these hormones and all these thoughts. They're changing from childhood to adulthood. And this book, I thought did a really good job of diving into what that really feels like and kind of so. brought me back to being yes. a teenager. I felt the same way. I was like, oh, I, you know, I remember feeling this way. I remember walking through the halls and, you know, I had my group of friends, but even sometimes with my group of friends, I wasn't really sure I belonged, you know? Um, so I, yeah, this stirred up a lot of, a lot of that, um, those feelings. Yeah. And done so well. And done well. Yeah. So. Um, so one thing Rika learns in the course of this book is that we all deal with stuff. And like um, Stacy said, as teenagers, especially, I think we forget that even as mm -hmm. adults, we forget that, you know, other people all have their own baggage. Yeah. We feel like outsiders. So um, Rika has felt like an outsider all her life. And suddenly people tell her that they understand her and that they feel like outsiders mm. too. And again, you know, the mind blown thing yep. is kind of, um, all her identification with monsters and supernatural beings relates to those pent up feelings of uncertainty and anger. The anger coming from thinking that people don't understand her and anger coming from the bullying that she receives. Mm -hmm. She even feels shame thinking that others who pick on her may be right about her. So all these mixed up jumbles of emotions. She keeps calling herself a mistake, maybe because other people have she's heard those whispers yeah. that we talked about before. But Rika's Nerona provides the imagery for her anger. It's her anger personified to describe the emotions she feels. We learn that anger and her identification with yokai is a coping strategy that she has developed for feeling out of place. Mm -hmm. 
before she agrees to get on that roller coaster that I mentioned with Henry. So they go to this place. Um, she doesn't really want to go to it because she sees it as a tourist trap. And Henry says, this is my favorite place. Right. Probably reminds him of Coney Island. That's what as, I was thinking. I was seeing that East same coaster. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a pier that they go to. And, um, you know, there's... Um, one thing you'll find out about Henry is that he loves like fried anything. And that's katsu. That is basically like panko fried, you know, meats and cheeses and whatever you can put panko on, then fry up, they'll put it on there. So, um, yeah. So they go to this pier. Yeah. Which, um, again, that, that sense of, that sense of place at, mm-hmm. at the pier. So Henry takes her there and says, let's go on the rides. He loves the rides. Mm-hmm. She's not so sure. Um, before she gr- agrees to get on that roller coaster with Henry, she describes her feelings of inadequacy to him. She states, quote, my temper is always trying to get the better of me. It takes everything I have to shove it down. But on a roller coaster, all that goes away. You can't shove anything down, end quote. She's afraid of losing control. And I did find that roller coaster scene to be really profound um, because I hate roller coasters too. And I've been told by others that it may be because... I'm afraid of losing control. Um, I did very much identify with with Rika on many levels here. (laughs) Um, Rika then remembers back to Joanna in in the same scene. um, And she says, quote, whenever I get called a mistake by the neighborhood gossip mongers of um, or someone refers to me as a fraction or looks at me like I'm a puzzle instead of a person. It doesn't go away and it doesn't get better. It just lives inside of me. And it's like Joanna said, I start to believe it's true. Mm-hmm. The Onrio that is, sh- is my shoved down feelings always comes back to haunt me, end quote. Um, but Joanna has told her that anger can push her forward and give her power. But Rika needs to learn to channel that. She needs yeah. to learn that on her own. Yeah. So, so um, as we've... As, as I said earlier, um, with Henry Chen, you know, he's an actor. And so he has, um, this group, this Asian Hollywood group of other actors and actresses, um, that he gets together with. And, and Rika gets introduced to them. Um, and Joanna is one of these, um, characters in that group. Uh, and, and the one thing I loved about this is, is this is where, you know, um, these were some older, so young adults, more in their twenties. But Rika learns from them that they, feel a lot like she does, that they also have um, a lot of the mixed heritages and, and have had that same type of feeling of not always belonging. And they share with her how to deal with that, how they've de- dealt with that. So that's wonderful, this this sharing of insecurities and that it's okay to talk about these things um, and that we should talk about these things. Um, so I really liked how the author addressed anger in this book, particularly um, through the words of wisdom that Joanna spoke. Uh, on page 313, um, Joanna says, I really wish so many of our communities would just like acknowledge that anger isn't always a bad emotion. Sometimes it's there to let you know when something's wrong or to protect you from being mistreated or to tell you that you care. You can't just reject it. You have to let yourself feel it, make room for it. You have to figure out a way to channel it. And I think that roller coaster scene gave Rika the moment uh, to make room for her anger and really feel it. Yeah, in the end, Rika talks about how she's scared to hope for a happy ending because it puts her whole heart at risk. Mm. She's created this hard shell, and the anger's part of that. Um, the shell is made up of the places and supernatural beings that protect her. She kind of surrounds herself in yeah. 
things that make her feel like she she belongs. Um, new emotions that are trying to get around anger are exploding that shell in this book. That's what this book is basically about, how to deal with your emotions, how to deal um, with other people, how to deal with new love. It's all uh, learning about herself. Yeah, and that's why I, earlier I said it was a, you know, a coming of age, right? Um, and, you know, I think that hope can be scary because it makes us vulnerable, right? There's when you when you hope for something, there is that possibility that things are not going to turn out as you expect them to, um, and that can lead to hurt. And so, when we hope, we have to be okay knowing that it might not work out how we plan, and and then to know that we're strong, and and that just maybe what um, is waiting for us on the other side is even better. And I think that that was a little bit in this book as well. It's my opinion that Rika um, started to recognize that. And we may recognize it at one point in our lives and then forget yep. and fall right back into that <laughs> anger trap again exactly. and have to claw our, claw our way out. Yeah. Um, it's a journey. It's a journey. Life is a journey. <laughs> Life is a journey. <laughs> so uh, the idea of anger really, really intrigued me there because it, she was described as angry, but I think anger was an overarching word for all the emotions she was feeling. It wasn't just anger. Mm -hmm. Um, But according to an article in Psychology Today, um, they actually say anger is often a secondary emotion that covers up other other Mm -hmm. emotions. So your brain actually releases a chemical called norepinephrine, uh, which numbs your pain. And your body also produces epinephrine, which has an amphetamine-like effect, giving us a surge of energy throughout our body. Um, This covers up our core emotional hurts when something happens. Mm -hmm. So in Rika's case, her um, core emotion, I think, is a feeling of inadequacy, and it comes out as anger, and she pulls these things in to protect Mm -hmm. her. According to the article, if we're healthy psychologically, then we have the internal resources to self-validate. In other words, to admit to ourselves possible inadequacies without experiencing intolerable guilt or shame. Mm. Rika feels shame about who she is because outsiders are actually making her feel that way. Right. Um, but if deep down we still feel bad about who we are, our deficient sense of self simply won't be able to withstand such external threats. And the remedy in this case paradoxical as it may seem is anger even though it destroys any true peace of mind or sense of well-being the anger can help us to soothe ourselves because of the release of these chemicals for our anger potently serves to invalidate whoever or whatever led us to feel invalidated so it kind of if we can place the blame on others by being angry with somebody else Mm -hmm. then then uh we feel better it's basically a form of self-medication Other responses people might have to feelings of rejection include hurt feelings, loneliness, jealousy, guilt, shame, which we talked about, social anxiety, embarrassment, and sadness. And at different times in our book, our Rika experienced all of these, even though she didn't always (laughs) give them a name. Yeah. This tendency to anger obviously affects relationships too, but Rika is navigating her way around this. She's afraid to open up to anyone, and that is the result of how she's been treated all her life. Her anger and her yokai allow her to put distance between herself and others. But Henry is helping her break down those walls. She needs to be aware of her tendency toward anger to push those walls down rather than letting her neurona rise up. Henry actually asks her 
why do you make it so hard for people to love you? And I thought she was going to lose it at that Because <laughs> I think that's a loaded question. Like, I don't know. When I first read it, I was like, wow, why are you asking that? Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah it made me feel like he he was trying to say to her, I love you, but I don't want to. Right. You know, yeah. but she didn't take it that she way. Didn't. She didn't. Um, on page 346, um, it talks about how the focus was on protecting Rika, um, but she realizes there are places she belongs and people that she belongs mm-hmm. to. So he's slowly breaking down these uh, feelings, these mm-hmm. terrible feelings she has. She soon begins to realize the burdens that those around her also carry. Two of the people she admires most, Henry, puts on a happy, for one, Henry puts on a happy smile for everyone. He can't even eat like himself in public for fear of what others might say. So he's never himself. Right. Um, only around her. Um, and then her sister Belle is loud and her body doesn't fit a perfect stereotype, she mentions. She does what she wants and loves everyone. Um, but that is not always appreciated by her mm-hmm. culture. And Rika didn't even see it that way. Yeah. Um, on two page 291, Rika soon realizes that belonging isn't as easy for other people as it seems. So all of these little incidences come together uh, to, to break down her, her anger. One thing I like about this book is that the anger doesn't just go away. Uh, she's constantly dealing mm-hmm. with it. Just like we said, that even as adults, we constantly deal with it. Even as she's learning about herself and about her emotions, it'll likely be something in which with which she struggles all her life. Mm-hmm. There are so many layers here. Her mother finding the same comfort in the Onryo tree comes up, which is a sweet scene. Her aunts looking back to talk about how they dealt with their own emotions. Sensei Mary as a strong figure who remains calm. Joanna, the friend fairy godmother who yep. sees all emotions and helps Rika navigate them. I really did not expect to like this book. I don't usually go for romance, but this was so wonderful. It, it just, I just loved it. So Stacy, I can't wait to share what we will be reading next time because I'm really excited about November's book. Mm. I always get uh, very excited when another book is chosen. You know, so I forget who I was talking to, but we were talking about books. And when I finish a book, sometimes I feel like I, um, especially if I really, really loved it, I go through like this mourning period for a little bit, <laughs> kind of like, oh, those characters, I'm going to miss them. And um, so it's, it's, I get so excited excited like the anticipation of another book okay wait i have other characters i can start to love and another maybe setting that i might just love as much so um so there's always something exhilarating about the anticipation of reading a new book and then of course with the podcast me wondering hmm what might melissa choose as themes in this book i'm See, always I, thinking that this time i was waiting because <laughs> the last few times you've come up with your own themes yeah. you've you've said oh but you forgot about this or how about this and you you didn't do that except with the cat this time yes so. i did with the cat yeah i found <laughs> <laughs> all about the cat. But uh, so next month, we are going to step back in time to Chicago, 1893, and everyone is celebrating the World's Fair. Alter Rosen, a young Jewish immigrant, longs for the day when he has enough money to free his family from oppression in Romania and bring them to America. But that dream may need to wait as several Jewish boys are murdered and the latest victim is Alter's best friend and secret crush. Alter becomes possessed by the spirit of his murdered friend, and he's plunged into a deadly hunt for a serial killer. So join the Curious Reader podcast next month for Aiden Polidoro's The City Beautiful, uh, a haunting historical fantasy read that blends murder mystery, 
with Jewish folklore. And I will tell you another awesome book cover. Really, really yeah. good. So good. I can't wait. Maybe we'll have book. to talk about the book cover a little bit on the <laughs> next podcast. Um, so that is all um, from us today, listeners. Remember, the Curious Reader podcast can be found on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even for free on audible.com. If you have missed an episode, now is a great time to go back and catch up. And don't forget, liking and subscribing helps others discover this podcast. So please click that little heart or give us a thumbs up to share the love of reading and discovering something new. Thank you for listening. And remember, the curious reader seeks understanding beyond the book.